and welcome. My name is Dr. Helen Noble and I'm a lecturer in health services research at Queen's University Belfast and I'm an associate editor at Evidence-Based Nursing. And today we're going to discuss a recent commentary in Evidence-Based Nursing which is concerned with people who are living with and beyond cancer and current exercise recommendations. And I'll be discussing this with the commentary author, Dr. Denise Spector, and Denise works at the Duke Cancer Institute and Duke University School of Nursing in North Carolina. So hello, Denise, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Dr. Noble. How wonderful to be able to do this with you today. Oh, well, we're delighted to have you here. Can I, can I just firstly ask you to introduce yourself in a little bit more detail and tell us about your current position? Yes. So, as you had said, I um, work at the Duke Cancer Institute at Duke University Medical Center. I started my position here um, approximately a year ago. I'm an oncology nurse practitioner as well as nurse researcher, and I was hired to help with the expansion of the clinical cancer survivorship programming here at Duke. And um, I've just had a, a particular interest in health promotion, exercise being a predominant area of focus, as well as nutrition, just lifestyle changes in general. Great, great. Okay, so can you tell me then a little bit about what we know about cancer survivors and the effects of regular exercise? Mm -hmm. Well, as we know now, looking across the, the world, it's estimated that about 29 million individuals are living with a cancer diagnosis, and most of whom are not meeting physical activity guidelines that have been set by a number of organizations, the American Cancer Society, the American College of Sports Medicine, and those guidelines include at least 150 minutes of moderate aerobic physical activity per week, or 75 minutes of vigorous aerobic physical activity, as well as strength training for all major major muscle groups to be at least twice per week. And we do know that many cancer survivors experience long-term and late effects from either their surgery, chemotherapy, hormonal therapy, or their radiation therapy if they've had it. And some of the potential long-term physical effects include fatigue, pain, lymphedema in some cases for women with breast cancer, individuals with melanoma who've had um, radical dissections of their tumors, and also their psychosocial challenges that include anxiety and depression. We also know that some of these agents can be cardiotoxic, leading to late effects such as cardiomyopathy. And we know that exercise Regular exercise has been shown to have a positive effect on cardiorespiratory fitness, fatigue, weight, anxiety, depression, and just overall health-related quality of life. We also know there's a growing body of evidence that there really are cancer-specific survival advantages among, in particular, patients with breast cancer, prostate cancer, and colorectal cancer. And this expanding body of evidence really just points to the importance of identifying the most efficacious interventions to promote exercise behavior, as well as the achievement of reaching recommended exercise recommendations. Lovely. Okay, good. So um, what did the authors of this, this present study do? Well, Borg and colleagues conducted a systematic review of only randomized clinical trials. Um, they were included in their review 
and they investigated the effectiveness of interventions promoting exercise behavior among sedentary adults who were 18 or older. There were cancer patients either in active treatment or beyond cancer treatment, post-treatment. And for the purpose of their review, they considered sedentary to be exercising less than 90 minutes per week. And they included all published reports of randomized clinical trials up to August 2012, looking at interventions that targeted increases in aerobic and or resistance exercise. And they also had to compare exercise interventions. The studies they were looking at were exercise interventions that compared against usual care in patients who had the same cancer diagnosis as opposed to a heterogeneous group. And the authors, they did search several electronic databases, including Cochrane Central Register, Controlled Trials, Medline, Embase, CINAHL, PsychInfo. And they also had additional strategies, which included an evaluation of the gray literature on the topic. And they also communicated with experts in the field. And their data extraction and quality assessment of the literature was undertaken independently by two of the review authors. And any disagreements among those two authors were resolved by a third author. So they, um, with looking at the evidence, they came up with 14 randomized clinical and trials, clinical trials that they reviewed. Seven of them were included in a meta-analysis, while the full 14 were um, more or less a narrative synthesis that they provided on. A majority of the studies were conducted among breast cancer patients, which um, isn't uncommon in exercise science. And two of the trials included prostate cancer patients and one focused on colon cancer patients. So the meta-analysis actually revealed a significant improvement in aerobic exercise tolerance at 8 to 12 weeks, just depending upon the intervention duration, and then at six months post-intervention. Although um, there was a significant improvement, the authors did identify a high risk of bias among most of the studies. And that bias included missing adherence data, high attrition at follow-up, difference in participants who were included um, or that had dropped out from the study, and just some inconsistencies between objective and subjective data. But um, overall, there was a lack of convincing evidence to suggest that existing interventions are useful for helping cancer survivors achieve and sustain exercise recommendations. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Um, You've touched upon some of this, but can you tell me a little bit more about the major strengths and weaknesses of the methods used in the study? Yeah, so I did mention that um, what they did, they definitely used multiple search strategies beyond just electronic databases, and they included only randomized clinical trials. And of the randomized clinical trials, they had to have included, again, only individuals who were sedentary at baseline, and they had to report on essential metrics of exercise behavior, such as the frequency of exercise duration and intensity of exercise for aerobic physical activity, and then sets and repetitions for resistance exercises. And they also, a strength of this review is that the authors adhered to the Cochrane Collaborations tool for assessing risk of bias which, again, was completed independently by two of the study authors. So, And this also does appear to be the first review 
on specifically randomized clinical trials addressing improvements in exercise in sedentary patients against the actual physical activity recommendations that are known now for cancer survivors. So those are the main strengths of the review. As far as limitations, they did include studies that were conducted primarily among breast cancer survivors. And again, that that is just a limitation of the nature of exercise science now since breast cancer survivors are such a large percentage of the overall group of cancer survivors across the world. And the studies included mainly white patients. Only one of the trials included an ethnically diverse sample. So um, that, that, I think those are the, the limitations. But again, that's where the exercise science is at this point. Okay, great. So what do you think are the main implications for clinical practice from this systematic review? Well, we definitely know, again, the benefits of exercise, and exercise should definitely be promoted among cancer survivors, both aerobic and resistance training. But it is unclear about what the best strategies for motivating individuals to achieve and then maintain recommended aerobic and resistance training exercise behavior Individuals that are likely to have most success if techniques such as goal setting, self-monitoring, and being provided with the opportunity to practice under supervision in addition to any independent exercise. So we should still be promoting it as as clinicians. Um, We just don't necessarily have the the best strategy, um, known strategy at this point for how to get individuals to exercise and then maintain it. Mm. Okay. Well, do you have any ideas for maybe effective behavioral interventions in this area and what they might look like or what future research might be required? Yeah. So um, my, I guess in, in my opinion and, and after reading this and many other exercise studies, um, Progressive exercise programs, meaning like a gradual increase in exercise from sedentary baseline, are, are the probably the best methods that we need to evaluate that because you start with someone who's sedentary, you certainly can't expect them to jump right into 150 minutes of aerobic activity per week. So um, a gradual progression over a period of time where realistic goals are mutually agreed upon at the outset I think that's likely to bring about the most positive change. And um, I agree with the authors. They did find that self-monitoring, the studies that included self-monitoring had better results. And this self-monitoring could be either with a pedometer, accelerometer, heart rate monitor, some objective measure that the individual can see as well as a motivator Um, And accountability uh, tracking exercise through logs can be a motivator for some individual. And um, as the authors found out as well, having the ability to have some supervision in addition to independent exercise that can be of great benefit to cancer survivors since oftentimes they have fear of beginning an exercise program and having a trainer or someone who's able to carefully guide them through an exercise routine and help them to overcome their fears of exercise. They've been through a very difficult uh, time often after surgery and 
chemo and they just, um, many individuals just feel as though they're going to harm themselves in some way, especially for women with lymphedema after mastectomy for breast cancer. They've often been told for years, don't use the arm, don't exercise that side. And we've actually found through research that it improves lymphedema. So it's getting beyond some of the misconceptions and fears. But um, for research moving forward, that self-monitoring piece is big, using objective metrics like the um, pedometers or accelerometers and the accountability, I think, having them track their exercise so they can see and move along, see where they're making changes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And finally, what final message do you think our listeners can take from this research? Well, I do agree with the authors, uh, again, that more research is needed in this specific area, and it and includes the reporting of complete exercise metrics, again, reporting on the intensity, duration, frequency, the reps and sets for resistance exercise to be able to provide a more accurate interpretation about the intervention and the benefits of exercise. I think without that data, it's difficult to really devise what might be most appropriate exercise prescription for cancer survivors. And um, certainly, moving forward with the research, exercise interventions really need to target more ethnically diverse samples, as well as focus on other cancers besides breast cancer, colon cancer, and prostate cancer. Um, Again, those are mostly what is out there, but we have other common cancers too, as well as less common cancers that it will be important moving forward to find out what are the best exercise interventions for those individuals. And um, I do think studies could look at the utilization of health coaches, which is an emerging field, um, individuals who are able to help patient survivors really find their own motivation for wanting to move forward with exercise. I think that's really important to look at, and I'd like to see more science move in that area. Some health coach interventions have been looked at in other areas, like cardiovascular health and diabetes, and have been of great benefit. Great. Great. Thank you very much. I'd just like to say thank you for joining us today from North Carolina. That has been very, very useful, very interesting. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much for being provided with the opportunity. 